0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Stray Rescue of St. Louis is the largest no-kill organization in the St. Louis metro area. Since 1998, it has worked to get homeless and abused dogs off the streets and into good homes. So far this year, the shelter has rescued 1,566 animals, mostly dogs and some cats. Right now, the shelter is home to 92 dogs and 11 cats, with 346 animals in foster homes. Many of the dogs are brought off the streets by the shelter's rescuer, whom we'll meet today. Last week, producer Emily Woodbury joined Stray Rescue's rescuer for a ride along. And here is their conversation.
1: For 20 years, Donna Lockman has driven the streets and alleyways of St. Louis looking for stray dogs and sometimes a cat to rescue from harm's way. She usually coaxes them back to the shelter with just a can of sausages and a slip leash. And it's not uncommon for her to have to crawl into the basements of abandoned buildings to rescue newborn puppies and their feral parents. Donna estimates she rescues about 500 to 700 dogs every year. Videos of her rescue missions are frequently posted to the shelter's Facebook page and are shared around the world. Many of the posts are heartwarming, yet others show the cases of neglect and abuse that strays are subject to. A recent post on their page described this summer as the summer of violence. That they're receiving more requests for help with cases of abuse than is typical, and that the cases themselves are more severe. On a sunny August morning, I meet Donna outside the shelter in downtown St. Louis.
2: Hi, Donna, I'm Emily. Hi, Emily, nice to meet meet you. you. Thank you for letting me come.
1: With with masks on, we hop in her Jeep, which is full of blankets, dog treats, and a couple squeaky toys. (laughs)
2: So. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's I was out looking for a dog, and he likes squeaky toys. So, oh. <laughs> thought maybe that would help.
1: Donna punches an address into her GPS, and we're on our way.
2: Matt, Matt, some air back there. Yeah. So,
1: you got a call this morning or last night? Would you mind telling me what we're headed into?
2: Um, so actually, a fireman contacted our executive director, and um, I guess they were at a house to take somebody to the hospital, and. The people said that they had picked this dog up last night and it was just laying at the base of their steps inside, but it can't get up. They actually had to move the dog, uh, pick it up and move it to get the person out of the house. Um, So the firemen said that they think the dog's either been shot or hit by a car because it doesn't seem to be able to use its back legs. So we're going to go get him.
1: So what are some of the tools of the trade that you're bringing with you today?
2: Um... Well, always, always on board are leashes and Vienna sausages. Um, Sometimes blankets like this dog, it might be easier to carry him out on a blanket than to pick him up. We don't know what his injuries are, and we don't want to hurt his spine anymore by picking him up. So we'll see what that situation is. Um, Let's see, traps, um, the net. um, You never really know what you're going to, walk into um i mean we get as much information as we can from the people but um i mean they can be as simple as there's just a dog roaming the street and you know you get out you see the dog you toss them a few vienna sausages in that direction and you know when they come running up to your tail wagon you put the slip lead on you put them in the jeep i mean some of them are that easy others you know it takes more of a thought process they're either in an abandoned house so you have to be careful about how you get to the animal and then again how you get them out because a lot of times they're so scared like we seem to see dogs that go into these abandoned houses and going up the stairs is not a big deal for them but then they're stuck up there because the stairs are so bad that they're afraid to come back down so then we have to go up and get them sometimes you have to carry them down sometimes it's you know kind of a little nudge and they'll follow you down the steps they don't necessarily want to but they do trust you enough to follow you back down the steps you know there's situations where they're injured they've either been hit by a car it's a dog fight. it really does vary from situation to situation so you're often
1: going into abandoned homes. I see these videos are pretty incredible where you're pulling tiny puppies out of crawl spaces. I mean, navigating an abandoned house that could be quite dangerous for you and the dog, I think is a skill in, its, in and of itself.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny because you just, you don't really think about it when you're in there because you're so focused on, you um, You know getting the puppies out of that and making sure that you got all the puppies i think that's one of the harder things for me is if the puppies are old enough that they're mobile and they're in these houses it always worries me that we're not getting them all you know that you really have to search through the stuff because you know sometimes they're real vocal and you can find them other times they're so quiet that unless you started searching underneath a bunch of stuff you'd never spot them and there's I'm not really sure why, if it's just a gut instinct, but there have been times where, where we've left and been like, okay, you know, we, we think we got them all and it's just something will kind of tell me, let's just go back and check again. And we go back the next day and, and you find another one. So, you know, abandoned houses can be tricky for a multitude of reasons.
1: How long have you been doing this work?
2: Um, about I'd say about
1: 20 years. What have you learned about the city in that time? I mean, you see parts of the city other people don't see. Um, what are some of the takeaways?
2: Um, well, I think a lot of different things. I think that society as a whole is responsible for the the plight of these animals. So I think it's our job to help them but you're also talking about, um, you know, low income, poor areas of St. Louis where the people might not have any better resources. So, I mean, that's where we also try to help. We have different programs, um, one we call shelter in place where we try to um, help people with medical and food and that kind of stuff if they're, uh, you know, these people love their animals, so um we try to help them keep the animal in the home and supply them with the medical that their animal needs and food and and that vaccines that kind of stuff so it's eye opening i mean i think when you don't see areas like this i think a lot of people don't realize the situations that some people have to deal with day in and day out you know it's a out of sight out of mind kind of mindset
1: We head up to a neighborhood just north of Bell Fountain Cemetery, where firefighters saw the dog that had trouble walking. We pull up to the house and knock on the door. The woman who answered says it isn't her dog, but she took him inside the house to give him shelter. It takes a little bit of convincing, but eventually she surrenders him over. Donna carefully lifts him into the back of her Jeep.
2: I don't know what's going on with her, but she, she didn't want to surrender the dog at first. She didn't think it wanted to go with us. And she wanted to take pictures of us because she said, I know you work for the Army. So uh, she kept asking me about her dad as well, which I tried to explain that I couldn't give her information about her dad because I'm not the paramedics that came. So um, I think that she... You know probably means well and thought she could help that animal but there's no way he, that that dog was ever gonna get to a vet and it looks to me like one or both legs are broken and for some reason when you look at him from above one side of his ribs sticks way out more than the other so I don't know if he has air in his chest like if he was hit in the chest area as well or what's going on but he definitely needs medical care so anyway she let us take him we'll get the dog helping that's that's what's most important so yeah and he does look like
1: he's in pain although he's being very sweet in your back seat right now
2: yeah that's I mean you know that's typical of these guys very rarely even when they're hurt very rarely do we find that they're mean or want to be mean to us I mean they they truly do seem to understand that we're trying to help them. And that I mean it is actually good that he can walk because that hopefully means that it's just his legs and not a spinal injury because so many times we get these guys and you know if it's a really bad spinal injury their options aren't always as good as, you know, just a broken leg, so
1: On the ride back to Stray Rescue headquarters, we named the dog Radio. No, I like that. Let's do it. Radio. Once we get there, we head into the clinic, which is bustling with vet techs prepping for a morning full of surgeries. There's a whiteboard on the wall listing the twenty-five dogs that still need to see a vet, ASAP. Donna explains that they bring so many in, it's hard for the clinic to keep up. Radio will eventually need x-rays and an examination, but for now, they gave him a few vaccinations and a shot of pain meds. The vet tech says they take a few minutes to kick in. Good job, good job, buddy, good job. He can't sit up by himself on the examination table, so Donna holds him. As she comforts him, Radio licks her face.
2: Hi, we're gonna help you. Yes, I know, we're gonna help you, yeah.
1: Once he's settled, we head out to respond to another call that came in of a dog chained behind a vacant house. The caller said he's extremely malnourished and is pacing back and forth. Stray Rescue's marketing director, Natalie Thompson, often joins Donna on her rescue missions. And on the way to the next place, Natalie gets a text with an update on Jumbo Jack from his foster home. This is a dog the rescue recently took in from Southern Missouri. Natalie says he gained weight, which is a big deal because he's not able to eat normally. Jumbo Jack was shot in the face, which shattered his jaw and damaged his tongue. So now he can only get nourishment from a feeding tube.
2: He's still on the feeding tube and probably will be for quite some time. He uh, w- apparently, when he was shot, it also kind of um, either damaged or at least traumatized his being able to swallow. So he's not able to like eat large amounts of food normally. Um, he gets like little bitty teeny tiny tastes of food just to get the taste on his tongue and kind of the same with water. The foster that has him just takes a a little bit of water on like a lid and lets him sort of lap at it. Um, but he's, he's really just come around tremendously in his foster home. The person that took him home is a nurse and she's fostered many, many animals for us. She likes the special needs guys and he's honestly just thriving at her house. He's kind of turned into a normal dog. He likes to come out of his room and lay on the couch and hang out with the rest of them. He sits next to the foster when she's at home working and just nudges her for um, you know pets on the head and just attention and he just he finally barked for the first time since we've had him we've never heard him bark um, and it was just kind of a little you know muffled woof, and it like virtually made all of us cry because he's just becoming a regular dog and seems happy now I'm assuming seeing
1: things like that is what keeps you going because this has got to be hard emotionally to do this
2: work absolutely I mean we all say that even like people that adopt or even foster you know when they take the animals home and they post pictures of the dog like there was one recently where the dog was laying in bed with their their little girl and she was reading a book and I mean god stuff like that is just it is that's you look at that and you're like yep that's that's why we do this because that dog deserves everything that we can possibly get them and getting them into a good home with a loving family, you know, meals all the time, soft places to lay, big yard to run in, whatever. I mean, we just, we owe that to them because of the crap start that they had to give them the absolute best that we can. And, and that's just, that's Stray Rescue's mission and it always has been.
1: A recent Stray Rescue Facebook post describes the last few months as the summer of violence. And indeed, the photos of dogs who have been abused are hard to see. There are dogs with gunshot wounds, dogs who had fireworks thrown at them. There's a dog named Scout who was thrown off a bridge. And then there was the tragic case of a dog that rescuers named Freedom, who looked like he might have had acid thrown on his body more than once. He ended up not making it. The shelter's marketing director says they're getting more calls and requests for help on these cases and that there's been a particular uptick from southern Missouri. And she says the abuse is more severe than she's seen in the past. But from Donna's perspective, this summer doesn't seem too out of the ordinary. No,
2: I mean, I just I feel like as an organization and maybe it's because that's the type of animal that we're generally called about. I feel like we always see a lot of violent stuff. I feel like it's always been fairly high numbers with kind of more violent things that happen to these animals.
1: How how do you, as a rescuer, deal with and avoid kind of burnout and compassion fatigue when you're seeing these cases of abuse um, quite frequently? How How do you deal with that and kind of, I guess, maintain your faith in humanity?
2: Um... Well, I feel like like things kind of go in waves for me. I mean, there's times where you feel like you can just, you know, keep going, keep going, keep going. And this is going to be one of those, Natalie already knows me, this is going to be one of those where I start car.
0: Take ramp left to I-70 west.
2: <clears throat> so things definitely do get to me. Uh, most times, I can kind of keep it together. Um, I do have what I I tend to call mini meltdowns, where you know you just you just lose it because it's just like enough is enough, people. You know, I mean, I just think it's hard to see what these guys go through. In
0: one mile, take exit two forty six A. Day in and day the out. To North Broadway. And
2: sometimes not be able to help. And, you know, when something happens, like with freedom, people are like, you know, you guys tried to help him and tried to do everything you could for him. Look at all the dogs that you do save. And I get what they're saying. And we do save way more than we don't. But just sometimes that one that you don't, it just kills you. And seems to like overwhelm the good that you you know or I don't know it just seems like that one that I you lose sometimes
0: on Broadway.
2: hurts more than all of the ones that you you know the good that you feel of the ones that you do save and it is hard I mean I think that we all just kind of plug along and and at times you just have to kind of break down a little bit because
0: it is hard to see day in
2: and day out how these animals have to try to survive. But I think the fact that we do help so many and that we can help just kind of keeps you going too.
1: As we pull up to the house near O'Fallon Park, we see a brown dog chained to a large tree out front. It looks like he's been living outside for some time, and the chain is wrapped around the tree several times, which severely restricts his movement. He can basically only jump upwards and bark. Donna gets out to talk with the presumed owner of the dog, asking me to stay in the car. After a few minutes, Donna comes
2: back to the car without the dog zoned kind of figured Um, no I mean he's at least got a lot of shade he says they keep him on a short chain like that because they don't want him biting anybody the dog's apparently not very nice Um, but at least he gave him a little more chain he's going to just keep winding himself around though so there's really unfortunately not much that we can do here. He is owned. They're they're giving him water, I'm sure. He gets food too, but we don't have any legal repercussions. We could try to get animal control involved and have them come by. Do
1: you see any violations beyond what is legal here or is it just the minimum requirements are met?
2: Well, honestly, the minimum requirements aren't being met because he doesn't have, um, proper shelter. Like, there's no doghouse, so if it rains really hard or anything like that, the dog's, other than the tree, has no protection. I mean, for the heat, he's definitely got the tree in the shade, um, but there is a chaining law in the city of St. Louis now where a dog is not supposed to be out on a chain 24-7. He obviously is kept on that chain all day long, um, and it's also supposed to be a proper tie out which is supposed to be i think it's called a pulley system where there's like a pole and a pole and then a wire that goes in between and then the cable that's tied to it can actually run that that middle cable um this dog is tied up around the tree and he's going to do nothing but run back and forth
1: and the owners didn't seem like No, they don't want to give up the dog
2: well they don't want to give him up but they also aren't willing to make things any different for him so probably we would see if animal control can come by because they can actually write violations and stuff where we can't Um, so I think we'll just we'll give them a call and report the address and go from there and hopefully somebody will do something you know, to help give the dog a little better existence. Do you see the sign? My dogs bite. It's spray painted along the whole length of this. Stay, stay the f- out. It's kind of like putting a security sticker up in your window that says, you know, whatever security system that house may have. But that's just their way, and that's. You know we all we all think of our dogs as family members they stay inside with us they lay on our couches they lay on our beds um, when we include them in activities but not all people see dogs that way um, some see them only as a way to protect their property and they keep them outside specifically for that reason so they bark they make noise you know they um, people are afraid of dogs so They see the dog and they wouldn't tend to go up to that property you know even if you can see that the dog is chained and can only go five feet um, you know they're still afraid enough that they don't want to approach that property so um, sadly you know we can't we can't force people to make the animal a family member to them and to have different feelings about that animal than, than they do. So we just, you know, we try to make the lives of the animals better if we can. And sometimes, sadly, there isn't anything that we can do.
1: While the cases of abuse and neglect are tough to witness, Donna says she also encounters so many people willing to help. Stray Rescue currently works with about 400 foster families, and they're always looking for more people willing to take in dogs and cats before they find their forever home. And Donna says one of the most effective ways to keep the number of strays down is to spay and neuter.
2: And there's more and more places that are providing low cost um, or at times even free spay and neuter. So, I mean, that's that's gonna be key to helping so many of the the problems that are out there with the animals. So, spay and neuter your pets. Put Donna out of work. That's right.
0: (laughs) That was Donna Lockman, a rescuer for Stray Rescue of St. Louis. Producer Emily Woodbury joined her for a ride-along last week. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske.